0: What I want to begin with today is just a statement here and, uh, and walk you through this. This is going to be a little bit different than a, than a normal experience in a sermon, uh, partly because I have a fair amount of heretical statements throughout my sermon on purpose to illustrate it. This is what I would say. When important truths of God are at stake, you can be sure to find counterfeits, okay? So, Think about the, the counter attack, the, the purposeful twisting of truth that the, the enemy does. He hates the truth of God. He hates it when people hear it and see it and embrace it by the grace of God and delight in it. And so what he wants to do is throw in counterfeits and distract and pull down and even um, turn people away from the truth to embrace basically nothing, emptiness, lies. And myths. We know this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul warns, and he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, that is, sound doctrine. But having itching ears, isn't that a great imagery? Their ears are itching. Just come, someone, just tell me what I wanna hear. Tell me what I want to hear, not what I need to hear. Having itching ears, they will do what? They will accumulate for themselves. Now, that has never been easier than the time in which we live, has it? I mean, you, you don't have to order tapes anymore. I remember back in the day, yes, I'm that old, you would have to pay like $2 or $3, and, and they would send you in the mail a cassette tape of a, of a message. Now you can go on and you can find any teacher saying pretty much anything and accumulate whatever you want. <clears throat> and the goal here is to suit your own passion. I want the God that I want. And I want to find teachers that will give me that God. And oh, this instinct is in us and it must be guarded against. They will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. That is, into darkness and damnation. So, I'll give you an example of this. Richard Rohr, who is a false teacher, a heretic, a a wolf, In his book, The Universal Christ, he says this, Jesus' death was God's great act of solidarity with humanity and not some bloody transaction required by God's offended justice in order to rectify the problem of human sin. That, right there, is blasphemy. Utter blasphemy. He goes on, Jesus' death didn't accomplish redemption. Instead, he says, I am Jesus. You are Jesus. Everyone is Jesus. We spend a great deal of time worshiping the messenger and trying to get other people to do the same. Jesus did ask us several times to follow him and never once to worship him. Friends, that is entirely false. But you see what he's doing? You see what he's doing? This is satanic. He's wearing the robe of a sheep while devouring people, telling them what they want. Oh, I don't have to worry about my sin. I can have an example in Jesus, but I don't need a Savior from sin in Jesus. Richard Rohr, false teacher, steer clear. Oh, friends, the number of faith leaders that have been shaped by this man is alarming in our day. How about this? Rachel Hollis, have you heard of her? Younger ladies, be on guard. She is unbelievably popular with even Christian young women. You are meant to be the hero of your own story, she says. You and only you are responsible, ultimately responsible for who you become and how happy you are. That is atheistic talk. That is not Christian talk. There is no Christian category for you being the master and commander of your own destiny and the hero of the story. You should, try, you should be the very first of your priorities. Um, her life displays an utter train wreck <coughs> of this teaching put to work. Be the kind of woman who never asks permission to be herself. Does that sound like something Jesus would say? Sounds great for the uh, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps type, right? The self made. We're going to do it our way. This is heresy. This is absolutely toxic. It is anti scripture. Rachel Hollis is a false teacher, she is a wolf. Steer clear. Of her church. Andy Stanley, if you were raised on a version of Christianity that relied upon the Bible as foundational for faith, a version that was eventually dismantled by academia or, or uh, by the realities of life. Okay, so this is his view of your Bible. He is, by the way, a pastor who is in the pulpit today preaching these things. Maybe he says it's time for you to change your mind about Jesus. Maybe it's time for you to consider the version of Christianity. Note this. Oh, there's versions of it, right? So, oh, you can be this or you can be this and still be a Christian. It's the version of Christianity that, that relies upon the, resurre- the resurrection of Jesus as its foundation, not the Bible. Well, this is ironic because how do you have confidence in the resurrection of Jesus? through the Bible. It's completely illogical and upside down. I don't know why he's chosen to go this very crazy path. He goes on, Peter, James, and Paul elected to unhitch the Christian faith from their Jewish scriptures. That is the entire Old Testament. Unhitch the wagon. And my friends, he says, we must as well. That is heresy. Andy Stanley is a wolf. Get away. Don't listen. Do you realize that Andy Stanley has curriculum in churches all over this county? It's called Orange, I believe, the Orange Children's Curriculum. He's writing this kind of heresy and garbage, and he is shaping children. He is a false teacher, and he has a platform. He's a wolf. Jesus said it this way, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And then he adds this, and this is where we're going to go today. You will recognize them by their fruits. How are you going to spot false teachers? How are you going to see who is true from who is false? The fruit of their lives, both in their word and their deed. There is coming a day, my friends, when we won't have to be on guard, when we can let our guard down, we don't have to walk carefully and discern everything that we hear, but we are not there yet. That is the day when the kingdom is established and the king of kings is on his throne and we are in perfect peace with him. But until that day, discernment is our assignment and this is indeed our foundation. Do not unhitch yourself from this the foundation of our faith, God's holy word. I went through uh, Justin Peter's website and I just want you to see at a glance, okay, this is not the whole list. Every single person on here in one way or another, they're not all committing the same false teaching or heresy, but this is a list of wolves. A list of wolves. It was so, there were so many that I had to make five columns and make the font so small I can hardly read it from here. But just know this, these people are alive and active and at work, and some of them have died and their teaching lives on through those that they've raised up to carry that teaching. Wolves, they are on the move, they are on the prowl. So the title of my sermon is Beware the Wolves, and we've got 10 verses to cover. Just heads up, we're going to spend the bulk of our time in the first three verses And then we're going to move quickly through the the latter part in case you're like, wow, we are really, this is going to be, we're we're going to be here all day. (laughs) Don't worry, okay? I'm telling you up front. Let's jump in here and journey. What I want to do before we do that, though, is give you kind of a a review of chapter 1 because this is all Peter's work and chapter divisions we added for help right along the way, Uh, but this is all one letter and there's a flow to it. So what I want you to see is what he did in chapter 1 helps us understand the goal of chapter 2. Progressive sanctification is put in view. Grow in grace. That's the push, the call of the whole letter. He's writing to Christians. And then he says, Christian assurance is essential in this. Don't just trust your label. Trust what you see as evidence of your life. Do you really believe what you say you believe? Well, you'll be able to see that evidenced in your life. If you say, I'm a Christian, and there's absolutely nothing in your life that confirms that, you need to go back and look at the gospel again and ask yourself, do I really believe this? If I love my sin the same as I did before I say that Jesus saved me from it, then maybe I am still in my sin and not trusting Jesus, even if I have a fish on my bumper. Or I live in Linden. (laughs) Christian assurance is important. That was chapter 1, right? And then he goes to, and Pastor Alex nailed this last week, the foundation upon which we stand, which we are inseparably hitched to, the authoritative Word of God, trustworthy, sufficient, timeless truth that we build our lives upon. That's chapter 1. Now, his aim in chapter 2 is the same, but his approach is different. This is the flip side of the same coin. So the positive assertion, the encouragements here, in fact, I'll show you one. Be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. You don't contribute to these things, but you can be confident that you are indeed elect as he is changing you day by day and you see progress in the Christian life. He's making you holy. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. That is into the fires of hell. In this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, Christian assurance is at the core of this. Now, who should not be assured? That's chapter 2. You see what he's done? You can be confident that you're saved, and here's the the path of holiness and the call. Now, chapter 2 is the flip side of this. If you are following falsehood, don't be assured That you're still a Christian, that you that you are indeed a Christian. And false teachers will confirm indeed that they are not called, not elect, and they will perish unless they repent and run to Christ. So that's where we go. Twelve truths about ravenous wolves, verses one through three. Twelve truths. Truth number one: they exist. There are wolves, and I don't have to spend a ton of time on this. They did exist, they will exist, and they do exist today. Let me just say, in our county, there are wolves in the pulpit. Wolves in the pulpit in our county. There are wolves in Sunday school classrooms around this county. There are wolves leading Bible studies. Wolves that are leading small groups. Wolves that work in Christian schools. They exist. Chapter 2, verse 1, "...but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you." When God's people were delivered from Egypt... They all experienced this miraculous deliverance, and yet even as they were delivered, there were among them false teachers, false prophets that were trying to lead the people astray and disobeying the Lord. God dealt with them. And then in the exile, when you look at the the prophets, Jeremiah speaking the words, the the confidence, this is how long, it'll be 70 years. There were false prophets who were like, 70 years. It's just gonna be a couple of years. They make up their own words and they proclaimed them as the words of God. So there were false prophets back in the day. They were called out, and they were addressed very, as, as Alex was saying last week, if, if a false prophet was identified, they were stoned. They were killed. In our day, there are false teachers. And what we'll see is that it's not just there will be. Even as Peter writes to these churches, he's identified there are false teachers already saying things, teaching things. Chapter 3 will show us that. Where is he going to come? He, he, he's not going to come. We don't have to worry about judgment. Things are going just as they always were, you see? So, false teachers exist. Wolves exist. Number two, wolves are often found in churches. This might be a surprise. It's easy for us to think that wolves, of course, you know, there's wolves out there, the people write books and this, that, and that. No, but wolves are often Found in churches, in pulpits, there will be false teachers. He says, "Among you, not out there, but among you, from within churches." All of a sudden, we're like, "Okay, who is it?" <laughs> Look around. Who's the who's the false teacher? If not in every church, that this isn't that like every church is going to have a false teacher. No. It means that in many places, a lot of times, churches are the context for which the enemy sows his his seed of evil and raises up people to lead them off into the weeds. If you're young in in the faith or a new Christian and you're like, man, I'm struggling to understand. I hope I'm not a false teacher. No, don't worry. Like we, We learn and we grow. Understanding theology takes work. So ask those questions. Work on it. Dig on it. You're not, a, you're not a false teacher if you're struggling to understand a doctrine, right? So don't worry about that. However, if you see a man take this pulpit and begin to proclaim things that are absolutely contrary to what the Word of God has said, we have a huge problem. A huge problem. I remember early after I arrived at this church, I was preparing for my sermon at the end of Sunday school, and someone ran into my office and said, Pastor, come quick. So-and-so is teaching falsehood. And they were. There was a guy in our church who should have never been teaching. He was a divorced man whose life was a train wreck, and yet he was teaching, and he was teaching things that were wrong and false. He said Jesus had bad thoughts, right? Jesus never acted on him, but he had plenty of bad thoughts. And we're like, hold on, man tempted in every way, just as we are yet without sin. However, it was an exterior temptation, not anything like we as fallen human beings experience from the inside. And so I had to go and put it to a stop. I had to say, stop, stop, stop saying this. It's not right. There will be false teachers among you. The thing that makes it tricky is, uh, well, listen to how Paul said it uh, to the Ephesian elders. This is, this is what his warning was as he encouraged them on his, on his departure. He says, "...I know that after my departure, fierce wolves..." Same language Jesus used. "...fierce, ravenous wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them, therefore be alert." There is a draw sometimes by those who are unsaved to places of of, of pulpit and, and opportunities to teach and even to raise and consolidate power and popularity. You see this on display. Pride, money, that can happen in churches, and often it does. Be alert. Is the call number three? Wolves are sneaky. This is why it's so hard. Wolves rarely show up at the door and be like, "Hey, I am a false teacher, and I am so glad to be here. I'd like to join your church and destroy it." Okay, and can I lead a few people here to hell? Is is that you guys good with that? No, that's never the case. The enemy is an angel of light. He masquerades as a as an angel of righteousness, and he is evil to the core. Wolves are sneaky. Look at this. They will come in secretly and bring destructive heresies. It's, it's a, a secret and sneaky, kind of slippery thing, and I've, I've, I've experienced this. Sometimes the, the, the approach is, well, just let me ask some questions. I have some questions. They're honest and humble questions. Did, did God really say? Did, did God really say? Or... Do you really believe that? I mean, I know it's in your Bible and stuff, but come on, come on. A global flood? Are you kidding me? It can come in the form of questions. It can come with with this guise of humility and all of a sudden that person finds themselves leading people astray, often to the weeds and then to the fires of hell. I came across this picture and it Freaked me out, <laughs> frankly. Yeah, that's scary. The face of a wolf, those eyes, right? What you can't see is the teeth that are hiding in there. But sheep's clothing. And you're kind of like, well, where did you get that, that sheep's skin? And if he's honest, it's because he's been devouring sheep. Open your Bibles, right? O- open your Bibles with me. Let me lead you as blood drips from teeth that have devoured sheep. Be aware. Be on guard. Watch for false teachers. Number four, wolves destroy. They destroy with heretical teaching. you got to know this. What heresy is there that is not destructive? It It is serious when you take the truth of God's Word and you twist it up into something that it doesn't say. When the gospel is so polluted with untruth or the twisting of truth that the people are not able to be saved when they embrace us, you've got a huge problem. That is what heresy is. We don't lightly give this label out. If we just disagree with someone theologically, we don't just be like, oh, they're a heretic, right? It's so easy in our times to just slate everyone who's in a different camp uh, from us theologically as, well, they're, they're heretics. No, we don't do that. However if we never do that, we have a huge problem. You know, some people are like, well, they've got verses. (laughs) I mean, they've got verses, so I guess we just got to all somehow just get along because they've got verses and these people have verses. And here's the thing, if we use that as the criteria of what we're going to believe, we won't believe anything in our Bibles, right? David Koresh had verses, right? Cult leaders always have verses, it seems, Just because someone is using Scripture does not mean that what they are saying is true to Scripture. It's destructive. They will bring in destructive heresies, destructive heresies. So when we walk away from the Word of God, we lose. And all those who follow teachers who walk away or unhitch from God's Word, they lose. They will fall. Unless God in His grace snatches them, as it were, from the fire and turns them in repentance. Rob Bell, Love Wins, just a word about Rob Bell. I worked at Mars Hill Bible Church for five years. Rob Bell was my pastor. Some of this, like, you, you, this is like news to you, okay? Like, that church started solid, and in the short period of time that we were there, the church grew from 2,000 to 10,000 people. We bought a mall for a dollar, turned it into a church. I was on staff, leading small groups, and Rob was preaching. And week by week, I could see this slide. Week by week, Rob did less of this and more of this. More Rob, less Bible. And as it began to go, I began to get more and more uncomfortable. And false teachers began to show up at our church and be hanging out with Rob. I I got to spend an afternoon with Brian McLaren, for example, and and others um, who were pushing things that were completely contrary to God's Word. And we left that church. We got out. By God's grace, we got out. And as things began to dive more and more uh, I think it was long after we left that Rob wrote this book titled Love Wins. Listen to what he says of the gospel we cherish. Millions and millions of people were taught that the primary message, the center of the gospel of Jesus is that God is going to send you to hell unless you believe in Jesus. Right. Right. That's exactly Right. And so, he said, what gets taught is that Jesus rescues you from God. That's also right. That's exactly right. He goes on to say this. Again, questions. What kind of God is that? That we would need to be rescued from this God. How could that God ever be good? How could that God ever be trusted And how could that God, how could that ever be good news? Friends, that is a mockery of the only saving message in all of history. I have friends who followed Rob Bell. They are not saved. And if they do not repent of their sins, they will go to hell. It haunts me constantly. Constantly. Rob Bell is a wolf. He is a false teacher. He has gained tremendous following. And he's leading people to the fires of hell with talk like that. That is abominable. I I do believe that even in Christian schools around this area, Rob Bell videos have been shown. So parents, tune in. Just because the school says Christian does not mean that we're immune from false teaching. Tune in and be on guard. Do do the work that maybe some, even in schools around here, are not doing. Hold them to a higher standard. Number five, wolves' deeds will deny their declaration. This goes back to what Jesus said. How are you going to know if they're false teachers, fierce wolves? You'll know them by the fruit of their life. You will be able to see. You can identify them in this way. Listen now. he says this. They'll bring in secretly destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Even denying the master who bought them. What is the, the sense of this denial? How does this denial work? Well, rarely does, the, does a false teacher stand like Rob Bell and just stand in the pulpit in front of people and just mock the gospel, just mock it. You, you guys are trusting Jesus. You fools, right? That, that tends not to gain a lot of following, although out there in the world, you can build quite a following with that kind of talk. What's the kind of denying that's taking place? Well, it tends to be not only what they say, but what they display. What is the kind of fruit? In, in chapter one, how did he show the positive side of this? The list, look, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, Brotherly affection and love. These are evidences, the fruits of the Spirit, even in Galatians 5. If the life of the teacher just stands completely against all of the things that that is calling out, a life of holiness, then the man, though he sound wonderful, is denying the master. Denying the master. And what does that prove? Well, he's not saved. He might carry this label Christian. Right? I mean, I'm sure the, um, the, the, the first guy, Richard Rohr, he would probably call himself a Christian. So, they deny not only by what they say, but the life that they lead denies the claim, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Hmm. Number six, wolves are often very popular. Now, this is important. We live in a day where... <laughs> People just follow the crowd. There's just like this move, like, oh, if it's popular, it must be awesome. And off we go. Bandwagoning, right? It's so easy to go that place. What's popular is often not right. And what's right is often unpopular. Remember that we live in a godless culture. Wolves are often very popular. Peter says many will follow their sensuality. Many people will follow. And all who do, unless God in His kindness turns them to repentance, they will perish. Many people will follow their sensuality. I'll give you an example. Stephen Furtick, he said this, following Jesus doesn't change you into something else. It reveals who you've been all along. What? Would it be like to see the you that God sees? This is absolute crazy talk. This goes directly against passage after passage in the scriptures. If anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has passed. Behold, new has come. So, what is Stephen doing? He's affirming the the, the mirror. For the masses, hold up the mirror and be in love with you. You are awesome. And you know what? You can build a really huge following that way. My cousin called this guy out when he said this. And he actually took the post down. It's in one of his sermons, but he he removed the post, but not before it had received massive amounts of applause and, and shares like crazy on Twitter. My cousin Owen rightly called this man a wolf. He is a wolf. He's a false teacher. He, he peddles. He has 6.3 million followers on social media. The church that he preaches at reportedly has an average of 26,000 weekly in-person and 65,000 weekly virtual spectators. I don't even know what that is. But that's a thing, I guess. So, very popular. And that's just one right Joel Osteen look look at the church look at the number of people drawn to that message and on down the line friends be discerning if you hear a man say something that is blatantly false and contradictory clearly to the word of god you might be dealing with a wolf don't keep listening to his podcast he will lead you astray Number seven, wolves promote sensuality. Note this word. This is licentiousness, sensuality. Give, give vent to your desires. If you want it, how could it be bad? Like if it makes you happy, the old Cheryl Crow right thing, it, how, it can't be that bad, right? Just get it. Go after it. Wolves promote sensuality. Many will follow their sensuality. This is not the only place this shows up. And and frankly, the history of many very high-profile public wolves proves this again and again and again. Affairs, all kinds of just crazy stories being told of, of evil, giving permission for sexual expression in ways that is completely against what Scripture is called In verse 10, look down at verse 10, "The lust of defiling passion, the lust of defiling passion." Jude, which is a, a very parallel passage to Second Peter, Jude says it this way, "For certain people have crept in unnoticed, they're sneaky, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. God doesn't play games when it comes to false teachers. He will judge. They are ungodly people, and this is how they do it. They pervert the grace of our God into licentiousness, into sensuality. And they deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. A lot of times this sounds like this You know what? You're free. We are free. Jesus has set us free. So you know what? Live your life. You be you. Go get it. Have fun. Do what you want. You're free. Your sins are forgiven. Live it up. That is not what the Scriptures say. The freedom that we have is a joyful surrender to the Lordship of Christ. It is freedom to be a slave of Jesus Christ. That's true freedom. That is where satisfaction and joy is found. Not in just following whatever whim of your heart hits you. We had an elder in our church in California... An elder, a sitting elder, who divorced his wife and married this lady that he had been counseling, and he said, God wanted him to do that. Completely contrary to the Word of God, we had to place him under church discipline, and that church did not deal as he should have been dealt with. That's wolf-like behavior. Just standing contrary to the Word of God as an elder, and then proclaiming to the people in the church, just... I. Like, this is what I wanted to do, and God, God gave me the green light. I, no, He didn't. I can guarantee you that. Rob Bell again. When asked about gay marriage, he says, "I am for marriage. I am for fidelity. I am for love, whether it's a man and a woman, a woman and a woman, a man and a man." Now listen to how he gets here, because when I worked at that church, he would have never said this. This is how Rob gets to the places he gets. I think the ship has sailed and I think the church needs, and then he caught himself in this interview, and then he said it this way, I think the church needs, I I think this is the world we are living in and we need to affirm people wherever they are. You see the, you see the, it, it moves, it moves. So how are we supposed to meet people who are in their sins? Just affirm them you guys just, you just keep it up. You're doing great. You're doing great. All the way to hell. And you call that love? That kind of love does not win. That is not love. That is hate. That is the cruelest form of hate. If you have friends or relatives who have bought the lie that homosexuality is somehow approved of by God, That gay marriage or gay weddings are to be affirmed by Christians? Then love them enough to speak words of kindness and truth in a day where so many have lied to them. Tell them, no, that's in fact the opposite of what God has intended. And no, I cannot go to that wedding. I will not give my consent to a wedding that is not a wedding It is one man and one woman that has been ordained by God, and that is what marriage is. And I love you too much to stay silent, and I love you too much to attend, and I would call you away from this death trap. Repent. There's a better way, God's way. Friends, have the courage to love in a culture that hates and calls it love. Number eight, wolves despise authority. Wolves despise authority. Look down at verse 10. Especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. They despise it. Now, this is so just true for all sinners, isn't it? Like, we, we don't naturally just want to humble ourselves and bend our knee. We are inclined to self, and that is how the sinful heart will go unless God conquers it in love and turns us to repentance and saves us from ourselves. Listen to how Jude parallels this, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, they they serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people, that is the false teachers who have crept in long ago, relying on their dreams, okay, 90 minutes in heaven, 23 minutes in hell, and all of that mumbo-jumbo, and everything else, They defile the flesh, they reject authority, and they blaspheme the glorious ones. We'll get into that next week. The authority that is most often targeted is this, the Word of God. The God of the Word who calls sinners everywhere to repent and bend the knee. We want to live the way we want, so we found a belief system, and we found a group of teachers who encourage us to do just that. And then we go to hell forever. Christians do not despise authority. They delight in the sovereignty of God. They embrace His lordship. They embrace the institutions He has put in place. It's one indicator When you see pride in the pulpit, when you see power consolidated, when you see this book mocked and disregarded, get out, run the other way. Wolves bring reproach upon the truth. They bring reproach, that is dishonor, disdain upon the truth of God. This is such a reality for us. Often we don't realize how much this is happening. Because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. The, the, the way of truth will be blasphemed. That means, t- t- where, where are the false teachers often? Well, they're in the church. And, and they're doing things and saying things and living in ways that are totally contrary to what the way of the truth is. The gospel. Holiness. And the world will look on and say, see? See? I knew all you Christians were a bunch of hypocrites. I knew you guys were just making uh, you know, a game of this. Look at this guy. Look at this guy. Look at this fall. And the list goes on, doesn't it? How many public uh, just train wrecks have taken place? The wheat and the tares, Jesus said in his parable, let them grow up together and separate them at the end. Bundle the tares together and throw them in the fire and gather the wheat, right? so. The reality is is that as we are discerning and careful, we have to have a careful criterion about who stands in teaching and leadership positions in the local church. We don't just let anybody teach the kids in Sunday school. That would be insane. And yet, in churches in this county today, there are tares in the pulpit proclaiming things that are absolutely false. Wolves. Wolves. Now, here's the other thing, just to comment on this, ecclesiastical cynicism. Oftentimes, I find people that are downing on the church. They're so cynical and so pessimistic about the church. It's, it's the church's fault. Tell that to the people in the underground church in China. It's your fault that China is what it is. Really? Is it? Don't fall prey to this ecclesiastical cynicism. Friends, God has a true church, and she is shining. She is faithful. Oftentimes, what gets the most publicity is the tear, and the wolf and the garbage, the absolute craziness that is put on display before the world. Don't fall for that. Know this. Christ builds his church and she will be dressed in white. She will be pure, and that day is coming when she will come down the aisle and the wedding feast of the Lamb will take place. Be optimistic about the church and be confident in the Christ who builds her day by day. Number 10, wolves are greedy exploiters. This is very obvious, most obvious, I think, in the uh, prosperity gospel movement. They are greedy exploiters. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Here, from a man by the name of Creflo Dollar. Dollar is his last name. (laughs) I mean, can we not identify this guy? Note the Bible verses, though. Note this. He is one of the most popular gospel prosperity guys out there. I said, Prosperity Gospel guys. He says the Bible says that wealth is stored up for the righteous, Proverbs 13:22. However, it will remain stored up until you got to claim it. Therefore, claim it now. You possess the ability to seize and command wealth and riches to come to you. Deuteronomy 8:18. 8, Exercise that power by speaking faith-filled words daily and taking practical steps to eradicate debt like God, like God, you can speak spiritual blessings into existence. Romans four seventeen. I guarantee you this, every single reference is an abuse of scripture. That is not what those verses are saying, but here's what he goes on to say. You can't expect to reap a harvest unless you sow a seed. And here's how you sow a seed. Make a donation to my ministry today. In their greed, they will exploit you. The number of prosperity gospel guys is off the charts, especially in the poorest places on this earth. In Africa, they make millions stealing from the poor with lies. They will be judged. Wolves proclaim falsehood. They proclaim falsehood with false words. That is, make-believe words. They make things up. They're, they're, They're just fabricating here. They do this with false words. Everything that Creflo just said is total garbage. It's false. It's not true. Here's Brian McLaren in reference to the flood He says this, A God who mandates an intentional supernatural disaster leading to unparalleled genocide is hardly worthy of belief, much less worship. What's he saying? Well, obviously, first of all, he's saying that we're dealing with uh, allegory, right? Don't don't trust the, the early chapters of your Bible. It's just allegory. It's just, you know, to inspire you or whatever. Secondly, He's saying, if, if indeed that is the case, God is evil. So you need to make a God in your image. Friends, I spent an afternoon with Brian McLaren. I can tell you this. This guy is one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. And he is a wolf, devouring sheep. So many have fallen and followed his path. Number 12, wolves will perish under God's judgment. This is one of the things that Peter wants to reassure the believers who receive this letter. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. This is not an empty threat. God is not just saying, oh, if I'm going to count to three, and then it's like four, five. No, it's not an idle threat. Their destruction is not asleep. It is coming. The wrath of God is being revealed. And they will perish in their sin unless they turn in repentance by the grace of God. Now, verses four through ten, like I said, we're gonna move through these quickly: judgment and deliverance. Four ifs and a then, four ifs and a then. The if of judgment, the if of deliverance, the another if of judgment, another if of deliverance. Okay, I think maybe, maybe, yeah, total of four. So for if, does this is illustration, for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment first, if okay, what is that referring to? Well, Peter is now in Genesis chapter six. He he is referring back to things that happened in Genesis six, and oh, if we had more time, but let me just give you the sum up. In Genesis six, verse two, we read this: the sons of God, that is, fallen angels, demons saw that the daughters of men were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. And the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Jude parallels this in Jude verse 6. The angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper abode or dwelling, God has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So you have angels who are fallen angels. These are demons. And they see daughters of men and they say, we are going to impregnate them. So they take the form of men and impregnate them and have babies with them. And God says, not letting that happen. He chains up these angels to be kept. This is not all of the angels. This is a a subgroup of, of these fallen demon angels, fallen angels, and he keeps them in chains. He judged them like that. And they're still there today in chains, waiting the day of the Lord, when they will be sentenced along with all else to the lake of fire. He goes on, for if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, and then the next if, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Just step back and ask the question, does does Peter believe that there was an actual flood? He does. So does Jesus. So does uh, everything in their scripture points to the same thing. This is not just allegory. This is real judgment. But look, in the midst of judgment, what did he do? Deliver. He delivered. So judgment, deliverance. Judgment, deliverance. This is the parallel that he wants us to see as we read through these. And then he goes on, verses 6 and 7. If by the turning of cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he has condemned them to extinction. That is judgment. Making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. That's significant. That, That needs to be proclaimed. Unless you turn and repent, the same is coming for you. And if, here comes deliverance, if he rescued righteous Lot greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. So judgment and deliverance. Now what's amazing here is the reference of righteous Lot, because Lot isn't the most like upstanding dude, you kind of, you know the story, it's, uh, yeah, but Somehow, in the midst of Sodom and Gomorrah, this man lived in, in a walk with God that was righteous. He sought the Lord. He fought, sought to follow the Lord and walk righteously, even in the midst of darkness. And he was delivered. You remember the whole thing? If there are 50 righteous in this city, would you spare it? Yes. Okay. Let's say 40, right? And it goes down to 10, and it's just like, well, okay, okay, just, it's probably just one. But, you know... And then Lot's wife looks back, right? Pillar of salt. All of this is in view. I want to just ask you this question. Look at Lot here. Greatly distressed by the sensual conduct all around him. Christian, are you troubled, distressed? Is your righteous soul tormented by what you see taking place around you? Or are you like, well, whatever, whatever? I remember in high school watching Saturday Night Live just a few times and being absolutely appalled at the agenda of pushing homosexuality in those years. There was a, there was a push. And what happened is a lot of my friends around me laughed at abominable, abominable behavior. This was horrible. It's not funny. One of the strategies of the enemy is to get you laughing at sin to desensitize you to its absolute, abhorrent reality. So, at work, when the joke comes, don't laugh. Let that moment trouble your soul and move you to pray. Now, we don't seek revenge. We're not trying to be like, you know... Uh, judge, jury, and executioner in this land. We leave to the Lord what is His, but we are to shine, and it's right that we be troubled by the godlessness and the darkness and the depravity that's taking place around us and do what we can to oppose it. It's one of the reasons we vote. Then, here's the then. This is the push. This is, the, this is what He's been pushing to. Then, believer, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and how to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. This is the whole push. The reality is, is that judgment is coming for all of these wolves and all who follow them and those who, who indulge the lust of defiling passion and don't repent. It's coming And God knows how to deliver those who seek Him and walk in the way of holiness. So our response just two things this morning. Number one, be discerning, Christian. Be discerning. Just because someone opens their Bible and stands in a pulpit does not mean that they are a shepherd. They may indeed be a wolf. Be on your guard. Test everything according to the Word of God. And at the same time, Remember, when this takes place, God will judge it. God will judge it. Oh, sometimes I'm like, Lord, how do you abide this? How do you, how, how do you put up with this stuff? Week after week, look at the tens of thousands, the millions of people who are led astray into the fires of hell. Couldn't we just say a prayer and, and, and they would just all Stop. Or just all be saved, or just be struck by lightning or something. He allows it. He is sovereign. He is at work. He has his purpose. And there is coming a judgment. So be discerning. Don't be caught up with false teachers. And be encouraged. Be encouraged. There is hope for those who walk the way of holiness in faith in Jesus Christ. There is a way forward even in a dark world. May we be faithful to God's holy word. May we be a people who not only look to Jesus Christ and say the words, but live lives of holiness and dependence and trust in Him. And may we be used to shine in the dark that some who have been kind of caught in this mess would be snatched from the fire and pulled back By the words and the light that we shine. Let's pray. Lord, if we did not have your word, where would we be? If we did not have the gospel, I know where we would be. We would be lost in our sins and running with all our might like the rest of the godless world. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for for delivering us from ourselves, from our depravity, from our hunger for darkness and evil, and turning us to your Son, Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our treasure. Encourage us and strengthen us in these things, Lord. Set us on the rock of the gospel and help us to build our lives on the foundation of your word, never unhitching from it in the slightest. Every verse is ours. We hold to these truths, O God. And we pray that you would turn these false teachers back from their wicked way. If you be your purpose, if you be your desire, Lord, that there would be many who would be turned from this wickedness and be saved. Look at the Apostle Paul and how you saved him. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to steer others away from these things and these false teachers. Keep us from the enemy. Keep us from the evil one and help us to follow you, our good shepherd, all our days. In Jesus' name, amen.